please would you open to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, if you could open to chapter 15. We have been looking over the last few weeks, we looked at the three great commands um, that Jesus gave, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor, love yourself. Um, three great commands. Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, and Jesus' commands are to love. So if you love me, you'll obey my commands. My commands are that you love. Um, but I don't know about you, but sometimes those commands are just not that simple. Um, sometimes to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and then love your neighbor. And as we discovered, your neighbor means those who are not like you, probably not the same race, probably not the same faith, probably not the same culture. Those are your neighbors. And then to love one another. Now you might go, I can love God. I can love people who are not like me. But Matt, when I look around in this church, you're asking me to love them? Well, yeah. Yeah, we're asking you to love them too. And, and you go, man, that's really tough. I'm, I'm really struggling with that. And so I want to just share with you two quick reasons why that would be the case. Why you would be struggling to love God, love your neighbor, and to love one another. Number one reason for that is, it may be a salvation issue. In other words, you might not have actually crossed that line of faith. You might not have actually put your trust in Jesus yet. You, you may still be exploring faith. You may still be exploring the claims of Christ. You, you're exploring Jesus and you're, um, you, you're trusting him at some level, but you haven't trusted him with your whole life yet. You haven't submitted your life before him and said, Jesus, I'm going to submit my life to you. You control it. You be the boss of my life. You haven't done that yet. Um, perhaps you're trusting him with your children. You pray for your children every day. You trust him with your business. You ask God to help you be prosperous every day, but you haven't quite yet gone, God, Forgive me of my sin. I've sinned against you. Would you take control of my life? I'm going to live my life in obedience to you. Um, as John the baptizer says, now live lives worthy of repentance or in keeping with repentance. All right. So, so I've asked God to forgive me of my sin, but I'm not quite there yet. So perhaps it's a salvation issue um, that you're struggling to love God, love others, um, and love uh, your neighbor. The other one is maybe... You have crossed that line of faith, um, but you don't quite understand your identity in Jesus. Your identity in Christ. Now that you are in Christ, now that you've crossed that line of faith, you, you are something different. The Bible says you are a new creation. The Bible says you are in Christ. Christ is in you. You and Christ are in God. You're hidden in Jesus, and that means that when God looks at you, he doesn't look at all the great things that you've done and judge you on that. He doesn't look at all the bad things that you've done and judge you on that. He actually looks at you and sees Jesus because you're hidden in Jesus. So you have a new identity. Your identity on that side of the line before you uh, put your trust in Jesus was you're a sinner who is storing up for him or herself wrath, the Bible says, your rebellion and your turning away from God and your constant, I can save myself, I don't need God, I'm good enough, look how good I am, I'm not as bad as somebody else. Those excuses, you're storing up for yourself God's wrath. You're on that side, God 
judges you on that identity, the identity of sinner. On this side, God judges you on the identity of his son, Jesus. You're now saved. You're, you're now a saint. You're now holy in God's sight. Now, if I see myself as that, then loving this God who sees me as something that I know I don't deserve is a whole lot easier. Now being able to love my neighbor who is not the same faith, who's not the same religion, who's not the same color as me, that's a whole lot easier because God became a man from a whole different culture to my culture. God, not my race. He loved me. I can love others. I can also love others who are in the faith and I can love one another because I know that we're joined spiritually. There's a connection over here. And as God is growing me and making me more holy, so he's doing the same thing with you. And so I can find it a bit easier to love you because my identity is in Christ. And so I want to read today from John chapter 15. I want to go through this a little bit and, um, and unpack this. And then I want to ask this question, how does my identity in Christ impact me and me, me and others? And me and God. So what I know about God, how does that impact what I know about me, others, and God? So follow with me in John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be behind me on the screens. I'll read from there as well. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. What I want you to be aware of as we're reading through this is how many times, or, or what it means when Jesus goes, I am and he goes, he is, the Father is, and you are. Try and pick up who you are, who the Father is, and who Jesus is in the story. I am the true vine, all right? So I'll give you an example. Jesus is the vine. You're not. He's the true vine. They are false vines, okay? I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. If you have an NIV, it says the gardener. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear fruit, it may bear more fruit. Okay? Are there any branches that are not being cut? If it does not bear fruit, it's being cut off. If it is bearing fruit, it's cut more so that it can bear more fruit. Are there any branches that are not being cut? Yes, no. No. Okay? You guys are great students on this one. Okay? So every branch is being cut. You feel like God's pruning you. You feel like you're going through a season of just trial. And you're like, what is going on here, God? What are you trying to teach me, you know? Well, that's because God wants to make you more fruitful or you weren't being fruitful in that area of your life. So God's bringing some, you're bringing some shears to the party, okay? Verse 3. Already you are clean. So this is not because you need to be saved again. You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, the NIV says, remain in me, or dwell in me, and I will dwell. The NIV says, I will remain in you. ESV says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So if I have cut branches from my apple tree for my fireplace, and I throw those branches underneath my fireplace and I come to have a bri in three weeks time, I do not find apples underneath my fireplace. Why? Because the branches are no longer connected to the root. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. You can't do this either. 
Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing or no thing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that, and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. There is nothing you can do with them afterwards. Quick lessons from this one over here. See if you picked up some stuff. The true vine, the vine dresser is the father. You already clean, abide in me and I in you. This is the I'm in Christ, Christ's in me. Um, we are branches, so Christ is the vine. I am a branch. Okay, you need to get this because for many of us, we're going, I'm actually a vine. You think you're your own vine. You, you think that the fruit comes from you, but it doesn't. You're just a branch. You're a branch. Jesus is the vine. The only reason why you bear any fruit, the only reason why any good thing comes from your life is because you're connected to Jesus. That's the only reason why. Disconnect from Jesus. If you were not connected from Jesus, there would be nothing good that would come from your life. You say, well, does that mean that if I never cross the line of faith, nothing good will ever come from my life? Yes. I'm saying that you will die. And in the centuries ahead, there is nothing that you'll be able to leave of any eternal lasting value because only God, God's word, and the souls of men last forever. That's it. That's as simple that it is. We don't know who the people were by name who lived here in this street 400 years ago. 300 years ago, 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. Even those of you who lived here where these streets are, you can't even remember the names of everybody who lived in those streets if you lived in these streets 50 years ago. That's how quick life goes. Only what we do for God lasts forever. We are branches. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing. This is great for my identity to be in that. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. There is nothing of any value that I can do apart from Christ. Let's keep moving on from there. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Just a quick point on this one. If I'm in you and you're in me, if my words are living in you, then ask whatever you wish. Question, whose words am I asking if those words are in me? Whose words are in me? My words live in you. It says, abide in me and my words abide in you. If my words live in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. It means that what I'm asking is in line with Christ because if his words are living in me, I'm asking what's, what is in line with him. So that whole thing of, so I can just ask, what, God, make me rich. Great prayer. Keep praying that prayer. Remember, we tithe at the beginning of the services. Keep praying that prayer. God, make me rich. God, uh, would you strike that person with fire, you know, like the disciples. In, in the one story, they, you know, the people are kind of talking about them behind their back. They get irritated. Jesus, should we just call down fire from heaven and just burn them? Well, that's not really what Jesus was talking about. So God's word, Jesus' word living in us, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, my followers, I'm the teacher, you're the followers. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. I didn't do this on my own. I got the example from the Father. He loved me the way he tenderly loved me, the way that he cared for me. So I'm loving you that way, and I want you to go copy that and love others in the same way. So I'm not just telling you to do something and saying, practice what I preach. Jesus goes, practice what I say, practice what I do, do what I say, and say what I do. Got it? All right, excellent. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. He's not telling you to do something that He hasn't done. Do what I say. I've done what the Father said. The Father told me. The Father commanded me. I've done it. Now I'm telling you to do what, what I'm doing, which is essentially what the Father has done. The Father commanded me. I'm doing it. You do what I say, which is what I got from the Father. This beautiful picture here of our triune God. Our triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't see much of the Holy Spirit in this one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What I got from the Father, I passed on to you. The Father loved me, I loved you. In the same way, you and I are one. When the Father looks at us, he sees that, he sees that I'm in you. You're in me. He sees us connected together over here. This beautiful picture. Jesus is not the Father. He's, he's getting something from the Father. The Father is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. Jesus is God. Right? You guys confused? Perfect. Because C.S. Lewis says, if you try to understand that even more, you'll go crazy. Okay, very simple. Jesus, not the Father. Father's not Jesus. Father's not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit isn't Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus, they're one. They're God. That's God. That's who God is. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. God, this Jesus is talking just before going to the cross. He knows He's about to go to the cross. He knows that in this group that He's talking to, one of them's going to deny Him, one of them's going to betray Him, the other ten are going to desert Him. He knows that, and yet He says, I want my joy to be in you. Jesus, sorry, how can you have joy at a time like this? How can you have joy when you know you're going to be betrayed over to be crucified? How do, you, how do you know that? Jesus knows something, that his joy is rooted in something that is not temporal. His joy is rooted in something that's not a material. It's rooted in, in eternal. It's rooted in an eternal purpose. His joy is rooted in that. He says this, I want my joy to be in you. I want you to know my joy, that your joy may be full. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you, how have I loved you, I have loved you the way I learned from the Father. The Father loved me. I loved you. You love each other the same way. Verse 13. Give us the next one as well. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Everything Jesus made known to us is sufficient for lives of godliness and for faith and for salvation. So beware of those who come and claim to have extra biblical knowledge about how to have a relationship with God. Beware of those who come and say they have special hidden knowledge that can help you in your relationship with God. Because Jesus said, all I've heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Everything. You can trust God's word. We will never find another book that was meant to be in God's word. That God was like, forgot that one out. And it tells you a whole lot of different stuff about how to have a relationship with God. Total garbage. Everything that Jesus heard from the Father, he told us. And this is how we have a relationship with the Father. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Right? 
Why have I told you all this stuff? I want you to love one another. Why have I told you that you are branches? Because I want you to love one another. Why have I told you that I'm the vine? Because I want you to love one another. The Father is the vine dresser. Because I want you to love one another. All the stuff that I've told you, I'm telling you because I want you to love one another. You're struggling to love one another? It means that you might have a salvation problem or it might mean that you have an identity problem. I want to show you a video clip that will help introduce what we're talking about. Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me his child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me his masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question. Who am I? Church, it's so important that we know who we are. It is so important because if you don't know who you are, you look to other things to define who you are. In this passage, we just had a look at now. Let me tell you quickly what the Bible says about you, who you are. It says that you are clean. It says that you are in Christ, that you are loved, that you are a friend, and you are chosen. J.D. Greer says it like this, My identity and my security are not in my spiritual progress. My identity and my security are in God's acceptance of me, given as a gift in Christ. It's not about, oh, look at that, you know, I'm able to worship the whole worship time with my hands in the air. God must love me so much more. No. It's not, you know, I've, I've been able to read in my devotional time Four or five chapters of God's word for the last three weeks. I've read four chapters every single day. God must love me so much. No, no, it's actually not that. Who you are is not in your spiritual progress. It's not in your life accolades. It's not in your financial wealth or your financial depravity. It's not in that. Who you are is in your acceptance by God because of Jesus. That's, that's who you are. If you've crossed that line of faith, that's who you are. Your identity is found in who Jesus is and what he did for you. Chapter 15 tells us about Jesus. It says that he is the vine. He is the power source. He is loved by the Father. He is the joy source. He is your friend. And I just love that, that God would call me friend. I want you to think about your friends. If I had to say to you, who's your best friend? If those of you are married, the, 
Sunday school answer is my husband or my wife. That's the Sunday school answer. Okay, so I'm not talking about a spouse. I'm just going, who's your best friend? Who's your best friend? And for some of us, you might go, well, let me just think, who's my best friend? And we would think about who that person is. Maybe it's someone you've known from school. Maybe it's someone who works with you. Maybe it's someone who lives in another country, but you see them every now and again. You get together and you rekindle that relationship again. Before you were born, Jesus, knowing all the mistakes you will ever make, knowing all of your faults, called you friend. Friend. And as you think about friend with the same affection, so Jesus thinks about you. That same affection that you have for your BFF, so Jesus has even greater affection for you. Because that affection for you led him to the cross where he died for you. The father, he's the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the one who, because he is the all-knowing director, he is the one who knows how to cut that vine. How to cut the branches so that it can grow more. So that it can bear more fruit. So that it can be healthy. He knows. And he's the prayer answerer. Jesus puts us in here. This is brilliant for those of us who have ever been asked the question, well, if there is such a thing as a trinity, why did Jesus pray to God and say, God, if Jesus was God, why did Jesus ask God, take this cup from me? The question shows an incorrect understanding of Scripture because Jesus didn't ask God to take the cup away. He asked the Father because Jesus is God and the Father is God. But it shows this, that Jesus is showing us a model of obedience. Obedience is the Father has told me. And so I'm doing. The Father is the all-knowing director. He's the one who directs our paths. He's the one who directs the steps of the church. He's the one who controls the destiny of the universe. And so Jesus asks him, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And Jesus says this, everything I've heard from him, I've told you to and made it known to you. I want you to know it. I'm not hiding it anymore. So I'm calling you friend. So question, how does my identity in Christ impact me? Me and me, me and others, and me and God. How does that help me? He has one, I am chosen. If you're chosen. God chose you. I, you might go, no, no, God didn't choose me, I chose him. Well, you know what, that's just semantics. Because there's a, a young man who is found by Jesus, the beginning of John. His name is Philip, and his brother is Andrew. And the Bible says that he comes, that Jesus finding Philip, speaks to him, and then Philip goes to his brother Andrew and says, hey, Andrew, we have found the Messiah. I'm going, but he didn't you hear what happened yet? Jesus found you. You should have gone to your brother and said, hey, the Messiah has found me, but he doesn't. He goes, we found the Messiah. Actually, the Messiah found you. Listen, whichever way you want to say it, just understand this. We are so dead in our depravity that God has to switch on the lights for us to know him. For us to respond to him, God has to switch on the lights. If you're considering responding to Jesus, it means God is, God is going, come. God's calling you. If, you. if you've been exploring and you've been visiting here for a while, you didn't come here on your own. You came here because God drew you here, because God loves you and God wants to show himself to you. If you've crossed that line of faith, friend, you've been chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood 1 peter 2 verse 9 says you're a royal priesthood a chosen people two i am loved i'm loved 
Some of us don't know what it means to be loved. Some of us may have come from families where there was no love. Some of us have come out of marriages where there just was no love, where there was just pain and abuse. God goes, I want you to know I love you. I love you. And sometimes we struggle to allow God to love us. We struggle to connect with that. But my identity in Christ is, before I even knew him, he loved me. So if I do more for him, will he love me more? No, 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 no. He, he loves you. Done. He, he loves you. So if I give more, will he love me more? No, no. No, God loves you. How much more do you want him to love you? He died for you. God died for you. How much more do you want him to love you? There is nothing you can do. He died for you before you were born, before you could even say thank you. He died for you. You're loved. Three, you're clean. The Bible calls you a saint. I love it. At the beginning of the letters, the pastoral and the, um, the, uh, the pastoral epistles and the epistles to the churches, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Paul will write to the saints. To the saints at Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi, to the saints. He would call you saints. Do you know how hard it is to become a saint? This is what you have to do. You have to heal three people. Um, Then your whole life gets scrutinized by a committee. And after your life is scrutinized by the committee, the Pope has to decide whether you can be a saint or not. Or after you're dead. All right? Anybody out there want to give it a go? (laughs) I mean, it's pretty difficult to do that. It's difficult to become a saint. God's word says, when you put your trust in him, when you cross that line we've been talking about, God, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you come and live in me? I want to bow my knee before you that you are now the Lord of my life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you repent, you will be saved. You move from being sinner to being a saint. Does it mean that you're perfect? No, it just means you're a saint. It means that God has marked you to be holy. We mark things that are holy all the time. You have things in your life that are holy. My most wonderful example, I use it all the time. You've heard it before, your toothbrush. For those of you who are new, I feel like a dad telling a joke to people who don't know me so well. You don't know my children so well, so let me tell you this one. Your toothbrush is holy. How can it be holy? When you go home today, take your toothbrush and give a really good look at that thing. It's not as clean as you think. Right? It's really not. It's got all gunk in the bottom of the bristles. It's like all like mud inside there. For bonus points, give it a good smell you will go and buy a new toothbrush after that you probably won't you will brush your teeth with said toothbrush tomorrow morning again you won't brush your teeth with your wife's toothbrush that's brand new you will brush with yours why because it is holy in your sight you have marked it for your use and yours alone When you cross that line, God marks you for his use and his alone. People might look at you and go, man, your underarm is bad. It doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter. God marked me. God marked me for his use. I am holy before God. I am a saint before God. I am clean before God. My sin has been taken away. Does it mean I never sin? No, I still blow it. I blow it regularly, all the time. But God forgives me. He's cleansed me. When I stand before God, God sees Jesus 
and he sees Jesus' holiness. Not my failure anymore, Jesus' holiness. That's what he sees. I'm a masterpiece, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, that we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. His masterpiece. Not his practice work, his masterpiece. A fly on the pulpit. Thought I'd just get rid of it there. Where is masterpiece? Do you know when you practice art, you start with your fingers and you do finger painting? Okay? And uh, the people give you a big piece of paper and you, and you rub it all over and you do all of that stuff. And then after years and years and years and years, you start progressing to brushes and, and then you paint m the Mona Lisa. Anybody ever seen what Leonardo da Vinci's finger works look like? Have you ever seen a painting that Leonardo da Vinci painted with his fingers? Has anybody ever seen one of those? Do you know why you haven't? No one cares what they look like. No one cares what it looked like at the beginning. Everybody just wants to look at the Mona Lisa, the masterpiece. No one cares about the junk. Everybody wants the masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Your identity in Christ. Who I am is not God's finger painting. Who I am is God's masterpiece. That's who I am. I am a branch. I'm not the vine. Don't expect what the vine does from me. I'm just a branch. And guess what? So are you. SBC, you're not branches grafted into Matt Francis's branch. That's grafted into Jesus. You are grafted into Jesus, and I'm grafted into Jesus. Together, we are grafted into Jesus. You're a branch, and I'm a branch. I'm not a branch of you, and you're not a branch of me. We are branches in Christ. My identity is I'm a branch. I'm in his vine. How cool is that? I don't have to try to grow myself. I just clip in, and he grows me from there. That's how it works. I'm a branch and I grow. And he says this. He says, I will complete what I started in you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to complete. You see, you leave a piece of firewood and it just rots away, gets dry, and then you burn it. But a branch, you look after it so that it will grow and bear fruit. And that's how God looks after us. I have a new perspective of persecution and suffering. Have a whole new, brand new perspective. Mark Driscoll says, our identity is not in our joy and our identity is not in our suffering. See, there's a new perspective. Our identity is in Christ, whether we have joy or are suffering. My identity is in Christ. If you ask some people, how are you? They're like, oh, I'm wonderful. You ask other people, how are you? You just get a load of suffering. Oh, it's bad. Life's terrible. And you know what? Some, it's like we, we define ourselves on suffering. We define ourselves on how bad life is. Or we define ourselves on how wonderful life is. I want you to know, good life, bad life, it can come and it can go. Who I am in Christ is what counts. I mean, we might be going on, you might be going on a holiday tomorrow. And you've saved up, you know, a couple of thousand dollars for a great holiday. We could wake up tomorrow morning and the rand could drop through the floor and it could be a hundred rand to the dollar. And now you're going like, oh my goodness, and now? Or the dollar drops. And suddenly there's like, you know, $100 to a rand. And then all South Africans are going on holiday. You know, just like that. Or we could hit hyperinflation in our country. Or you could take your money and you could invent, uh, invest it offshore in an offshore account in a Greek bank. That didn't work out so well. See, we just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. My identity isn't in my 
My, my suffering, my identity isn't in my joy. My identity isn't in how well I'm doing. My identity is in Christ. I have a whole new perspective of suffering and persecution. The Bible says consider it pure joy when you face trials. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, not what I say. Because when I face trials, I kick and scream like a little baby. Do you? Yeah, I think that we all do. But I think that's because we don't understand our identity. Our identity is in Christ. It's who He is. In fact, he promised us, if I suffered for you, you'll also suffer. You see, you're going to be just like your master. And if your master is Jesus, who suffered and died, you'll suffer too. We will. That's just the way that it goes. But that's fine because my identity is eternal. It's in Christ. Suffering, it can't last forever. Man, I could suffer for 50 years and then die. Yes. And then you could live forever. 50 years on forever. 50 years Forever. And that's a little bit. Yes, forever. Forever no pain. Forever no suffering. Forever great relationships. My foot is always in my mouth. I'm going to live for another 50 years like that. Forever. I can walk on two feet because my foot is no longer in my mouth. Get it? Okay. I don't have to fear. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. God didn't give us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power, love, self-control. I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear tomorrow. I don't have to fear the enemy. I don't have to fear death anymore because Christ did it for me. I don't have to chase the desires of my flesh because Christ won the battle. Jesus put an end to that. The flesh is dead. When I became a Christian, the flesh died. That means, will I no longer be tempted? No, no. But now I can say no. You see, the Bible says this about sin and about these evil desires that we might have. The Bible says this. It says, you were once a slave to sin. Do you know that a slave can't say no to its master? Did you know that? If you were a slave, you wake up in the morning and the first thing that comes out your mouth is, yes, sir. And the last thing that comes out your mouth is, yes, sir. That's it. You were a slave to sin. Sin said, jump. And you said, Yes, sir. When you gave your life to Christ, you became a slave to righteousness. Now when sin, the other master, comes along and says, you should now sin, the Bible says you can now say no. Because your master is now righteousness. So you now know what righteousness is. You know what sin is. And so I can go, no, I'm not going to do that. Does it mean that I will never sin? No, you probably will. But you can say no. Whereas before you couldn't, now you can. That's the difference. So I don't, have to, I don't have to fear that anymore. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm, I'm new. God, you've given me everything I need for a life of godliness. You gave me that. I don't have to chase those desires anymore. I don't have to play the victim to sin because righteousness is now my master. And I don't have to play the victim to evil. Do you know why? Because the Bible says Christ defeated the enemy at the cross. He, he publicly humiliated Satan on the cross. Jesus defeated him. Jesus took his weapons away, disarmed the enemy, the Bible says, and then God gave me weapons to fight him. Think about that. It's like Satan comes into your house to rob your house, your spiritual house. Jesus puts tap shoes on him. So wherever he walks, it's click, 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 click around the house. And then Jesus gives you the baseball bat and says, go find the enemy. I mean, that's around about what's happening over here. He has disarmed the enemy and armed you. 
I don't have to fear evil anymore. I don't have to fear the enemy. When there are evil things that are happening, I can take my stand against those things because I am in Christ. My identity is I'm on the winning side. So I want you to think about this. You can take a look at those. Say them with me in your head. I am chosen. I am loved. I am clean. I am a masterpiece. I am a branch. I, am, I have a new view of persecution. I don't have to fear. I don't have to chase the desires of my flesh. I don't have to play the victim of sin. And I don't have to play the victim to evil. That's me and me. What about me and others? Here we go. Me and others. I will have a higher view of others if I have a correct picture of who I am in Christ. I will, I will be able to see you higher. I won't be putting myself above you because if God became a man and humbled himself for me, I will understand that it's okay for me to humble myself for others because I'm just copying my master. Get that? It's easy for me to do that if I know that he did it. Here's my example. Others will be higher. I will, I will treat others better than I treat myself. I will have a higher view of others. I can forgive freely because I've been forgiven freely. You know, when somebody does something against you, they might not know all of your sin, just that one thing that they caught you doing. That's all. You know all of your sin. And you think that you know all of their sin, but you don't. They've sinned way more than you. Well, Jesus knew all of my sin and all of your sin. And while we were still sinning against him, he forgave us. Here's the example. While they sin against you, forgive them. So much easier to say it than do it, isn't it? It is so difficult. But it means me coming to God and just saying, God, who I am in you is, I am clean, I am forgiven. You've given me everything I need for a life of godliness. And so God, I want to ask you to give me breakthrough here. Will you help me to forgive? That's what it means. Because that's who I am in Christ. I'm a forgiver in Christ. I'm a giver of grace. So, well, you know, if they come and ask for forgiveness, I will forgive them. No, no. You see, we give when people don't deserve it. That's what grace is. I forgive even though they don't need forgiveness. I forgive even if they don't ask for forgiveness. I forgive. And I give grace. It's easy for me to give grace in forgiveness, but also grace in generosity. It means that I'm generous with what I have. I'm generous with my material worth. I'm generous with my time. I'm generous with my talents. Everything that I have comes from Him because He's the one who gave to me. He gave everything. So therefore, it's easy for me to be generous with everything I have. I'm a person of grace. I give even when it's not deserved. Some of you struggling with those thoughts? You're like, what did he just say? I was nodding my head, and then he said a whole lot more, and my head was still nodding. And I don't know if I really agreed with any more what he, what he was saying. He's the giver of grace, and so we are to be conduits of grace too. Me and God. My relationship with God. What does this mean? I have confidence before God. Confidence before Him. So I said what I said before we came into worship this morning. We need to have confidence to come into the presence of God. Guys, far be it from us for just a pocket of people here and here and here and there to be really enjoying the presence of God. That's open for all of us. If you know Jesus, it's open to all of us. If you're not experiencing the presence of God, could it mean that you never really gave your life to Him in the first place? Maybe you made an intellectual decision, but you never made a spiritual, heartfelt commitment to Him. 
Could there be a problem at the very root of your relationship with God? If you're not enjoying the presence of God and who He is, you can come into His presence with confidence if you're a believer. If you've given your life to Christ, we don't come into the presence of God as a judge and me someone to be condemned. But when you've crossed that line of faith, you come into His presence as a child and He's the Father. A good Father. A good Father. He says, come into my presence. I can't wait for you to be in my presence. I'll make myself known to you. That's what it means. I come into his presence as his child. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of God. Crazy that God would call you friend. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, there's some people that wouldn't even call you friend. But God calls you friend. Do you know anyone famous who would call you friend? It's always the other way around. Have you noticed that? So it's the other way around. We're always calling famous people our friends. You know when you name drop in a conversation? You're like, Mwah. yeah, me and Nelson. It was great. We were at Kunu and it was, we had a good time there. And then, and then someone's like, are you talking Nelson Mandela? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of drop the name, you know. Yeah, me and Oscar. No one wants to talk about that anymore. Me and Oscar. <laughs> me and Chad. Me and Chad, it was good. I just, you know, I saw that medal when they came back. You're talking about Chad LeClerc? Yeah, Chad. Yo, do you know him too? Oh, I mean, I've seen him on TV. Oh, you have a friendship with him on TV and Facebook. Oh, okay, because yeah, I know him. Really? You're friends with him? Yes, I'm friends with him. What, you're like, what, how far do you go back? I met him at the airport once. But I'm his friend. We always make friends with famous people on one connection. Suddenly, they're our best friend. Famous people don't do it the other way around. It, it doesn't work like that. Okay? You don't get famous people talking amongst themselves. Can you see this conversation going on in the South African cricket team? AB, how's it going there? Oh, no, it's going excellent. I was just hanging out with Matt Francis. Really? Who's that? Ah, he said, nobody. Don't worry about it. You don't need to know. Oh, yeah, no. I was hanging out with... I'm just looking for a nobody here. No, just... <laughs> they don't have a conversation and brag about hanging out with people who are not known. The not knowns brag about having relationships with famous people. God says, I'm your friend. Come on. I'm your friend. You know what that helps me with? It helps me to desire obedience. And I just want to be obedient to him. I love him. I love God. God, that you would see me as holy and perfect in your sight. That you would call me friend. God, I love you. And I want to be obedient to you. I want to be obedient not so that I can earn my salvation. I want to be obedient because I have salvation. I want to be obedient... And please you because of how great you are. Because of who I am in you. Guys, if you cross that line of faith, your identity is something amazing in Christ. We need to get that down. You need to, and I hope you took notes this morning, wrote it down and underline it and go over it again tomorrow. This is who I am in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. Now, how do I live a life? Because if you don't know who you are in Christ, Love God, love others, love each other. That's going to be so hard. But if I know who I am in Christ, the rest is just an easy outflow. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we close out, God, I just want to pause and say thank you to you for your great love for us. That you'd call us friends. What is that? That you would call us friends. 
that God, you would come from this place of perfection and come and live in the cesspit of humanity to die for humanity that deserves only death, that deserves hell and deserves punishment. The way that we treat people, the way we treat each other. But you should have just wiped us all off and started again. But instead, you became a man and died for us. I just want you to respond to God. Maybe today you're just reminded again of who you are in Christ and you just want to thank God for that. You're just going, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm clean before you. Thank you that when you look at me, you see Jesus. Would you just worship him quietly there? Just thank him, God, that you see Jesus when you look at me, that you call me your child. Thank you that you call me your friend. God, thank you I don't have to fear sin and evil and death. Thank you that there's life in you. Maybe today it's so hard for you to thank him for that because you've never given your life to Christ. You've never crossed that line of faith. You've been exploring faith for a long time. Could today be the day? You just come and say, God, today I confess I need you. Forgive me of my sin, God, please. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for me. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Your identity will change from sinner to saint. Father, as we respond before you today, thank you for your great love. Lord, wherever we work, live, and play, Lord, help us to root into our identities in Jesus, not our identities in our accolades, our determination, our success, or our failures, but you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless everybody. If you don't have